Oh, 
Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be studying this morning verses 5 through 13. And as we begin, as we go to prayer here in just a moment, I want us to pray together that God would give me great clarity to communicate to you this morning. It's as though at this text, beginning in verse 5 and going through verse 13, our study for a year just all comes together. And all of it moves to this text. It is a pivotal text. On the ranch, all long, year long, through the winter, we feed cows, take care of cows. Early spring, they begin to calve. We nurture the calves. Now the cows are out on grass, what little grass there is this year, what little water there is roaming the hills, come fall, we'll gather them up, we'll get them into a corral, we'll work the calves. A couple of weeks later, we'll separate those calves and we'll put them on a semi-truck and we'll send them off to Riverton. And the whole year came together at that moment whole year's work for those calves to get on that truck to go to that sale. And you sure do hold your breath. All of what we have studied in the book of Romans comes together here. It's like now today we're getting on the truck. I don't want you to go to slaughter, though. But we're getting on the truck. So having said that, I told you to turn in your Bibles. Now I'm going to ask you to do something I never ask you to do, and I'm going to ask you to close your Bibles. I'll have you open them again in a minute. I want you to work through these verses with me on the screen. And as we read through them, I want us to really examine together what the verses say. Not what we think they say or whatever. What is God saying here? What does this mean to you? Notice what he says. Now, if you will remember, you have your Bibles closed, so you may not remember, but in the verses we studied last week, 
He talked about how the Jewish people would not submit themselves to the righteousness that comes from God through faith. Rather, they were going around trying to establish their own righteousness. And they were being very zealous for the law. And yet, although they were working so hard and doing so many things, they could never attain to that righteous standard. On the other hand, the nations that didn't even have the law, they were not seeking it. God sought them. And they were willing to submit themselves to the righteousness of God that comes through faith. And then he says this, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now he says this, we are here quoting from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll look at this in a minute. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Stop. That is also quoted in Galatians chapter 3. We won't go there this morning. But what he says here is very important. Shall live by them. Let's go back. Romans chapter 1, 16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to what? Salvation? To everyone who believes? To the Jew in chronology of time first? And to the Greeks? And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then he says what? The just shall what? Live by faith. Live. Now, he goes on. But the righteousness that is based, this righteousness, it finds its foundation, it is laying upon faith. It says this. Now he's quoting from Moses. Deuteronomy 30. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss or into the pit? That is to bring up Christ from the dead. What does it say? The word, I want you to notice this, it is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. It is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. So, what does he say? If you confess, we're going to look at that word in a minute. You confess with what? Your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, what does that presuppose? If he raised him from the dead, what happened to him? He died. Now, it doesn't mention that here. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, this is the gospel I proclaim to you. The gospel that you believe by which you are saved. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried, he rose again. Now, all of that is contained in what we believe here. When he says you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it presupposes he died. He went down into the ground. He died on a cross for your sin. He was buried, and God raised him. So within this creedal statement that we believe, there is clearly the understanding. It's not just the resurrection. It is the death, the burial, the resurrection. It's all a part of this that we believe. And so he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You will be delivered. For with the heart. Now notice this for a minute. Here he has mouth heart. Here he has mouth heart. Now he goes what? With the heart first. One believes and is declared not guilty. And with the mouth one is confessing and is saved. What is he showing us there? It's not the order that is important there. It's not like you confess and then you believe, or you believe and then you confess. It's just you believe you confess. And so he mixes up the order here to draw our attention to that reality. So it is with a heart that a person believes and is declared not guilty. It is with our mouth that we confess we are saved, for the scripture says, and then he quotes what he already quoted before in chapter 9. Everyone, notice that word, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What does everyone mean? Basically, he is saying this, there is no distinction. You can be a Jew, you can be a Greek, the same Lord is Lord of all. Everyone available to all. And he bestows his riches. That phrase was used in chapter 9 to talk about the riches of his mercy. His grace. He bestows his riches on all who call on him. Notice this. This is where we all get on the truck. This is where it all comes together. Everything we've studied for everyone who what? Calls. On who? Notice this. It's important. Not just calls out to God. Calls on who? The name of the Lord. Okay, what is the name of the Lord? It is this. Jesus! Right? That is his name. He is the Lord. His name is Jesus. Everyone who calls on Jesus. There is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which you can be saved. None. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you. I thank you for this verse, these truths. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would take your word, you would bless it in such a way that somebody in this place would understand this truth. Lord, maybe it's even somebody who has already been born again, and yet they have not been walking in assurance. They've been walking in defeat, and Satan has held them down. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would understand the truth in your word, that we would be delivered by your word. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Notice with me the verses that we read. Now you can open your Bible, okay? Because I want you to see it in your Bible too. He's talking about righteousness here. And in this context, he is talking about a righteousness that comes by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And what I want you to notice is, all through these verses and through this chapter... We're going to talk a whole lot about faith. One of the things we often say is, as a part of the Protestant Reformed tradition, we believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. Faith alone. We are made righteous by faith. What I want you to notice this morning as we study these verses at the outset is there is a strong interrelationship between saving faith and the Word of God. God's Word. God's Word, he says in these verses, I want you to notice with me in verse 8, What does this righteousness say? He's quoting from Moses. It says this, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. It is what? The word of faith. Notice that phrase. It is the word of faith. Word is the noun. Of faith is a prepositional phrase that explains it. It explains it in this way. What are you saying is this? It is the word that produces faith. It is the word, notice this, it is the word that produces that generates faith. Is your faith lacking? Is your faith small? 
Do we lapse into unbelief? You know what the solution to that is? Not trying harder to believe God. It is immersing your mind in the Word of God. The Word of God is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It is the word that generates faith. Now, here is the sermon in the nutshell. I don't want you to fall asleep, but if you get this phrase, you got it. Okay, here it is. In the sovereignty of God, we've been talking about God's sovereignty. Chapter 9 was all about God's sovereignty. That God is in control. And in the sovereignty of God, God has chosen His Word to be the means of imparting faith to His children. It is the Word. Notice this. Faith is then the means in the sovereignty of God by which God bestows all blessings. Hebrews 11.6. He's talking about a man named Enoch who was translated. He did not see death. And it says he was a man of faith. But it says this as a further explanation of that faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe, number one, that he is, that he exists. Number two, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, having said that, let's talk about some things that we see in these verses about the Word. The things that we're going to talk about are these. God's word has not failed. I want to take you back in chapter 9 for just a minute. Number two, we're going to see in these verses that God's word is near. Number three, we're going to see God's word is to be proclaimed. And then we're going to see it is to be confessed with the mouth and it is to be believed in the heart. And about then, it'll be time to quit. So let's run through it. Number one, God's word has not failed. Go with me back to chapter 9, verse 6. When he is talking about why the Israelite people rejected Jesus. Why did that happen? And he says in verse 6, But it is not as though the word of God had failed. For not all who descended from Israel belonged to Israel. I just want you to notice that statement again. 
And let's be reminded what he said in the book of Isaiah in chapter 55. When he said there, just like the the snow and the rain come down from heaven, they do not return to the heavens without first watering the earth, giving grass and fruit to the one who is planted. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me, God says, without accomplishing the thing that I sent it forth to do. It will not return to me empty. It has not failed. If there is anything that we can rest our lives assured of in this life, it is that the promises of God are true. They do not fail. I want you to notice with me, faith does not see what is. Faith, on the other hand, clings to what God says. Let me draw your attention to Acts 27 for a minute. In Acts 27, there's an interesting story. Paul is on a boat. He's on his way to Rome where he's going to be imprisoned. As they are making this long journey on their way to Rome, they get into this big storm in the Mediterranean Sea, and the boat eventually goes down. But while they are going through this time, notice what happens. He says, but not long afterward, a fierce wind called a northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught, it was unable to head into the wind. We gave way to it, and we were driven along. And after running under the shelter of a little island called Cotta, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle, and they girded the ship. Then fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, They lowered the drift anchor, and in this way, they were driven along. Notice the panic. I I don't mind getting in an inner tube and a little crick. I am not one that likes to be out on water. I cannot imagine what these people are experiencing. It's probably akin to what goes on on an airliner. when the engines fail and things are flying apart. Panic. We were being severely battered by the storm. They began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard with all their hands, with their own hands. Notice verse 20. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared. And the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. That's what is, right? That is what is. This is what they're living at that moment. Notice what happens. Since many were going without food... I know why I would have been. Amen? There wouldn't have been only cargo going over the side of the boat. Paul stood up among them and he said, 
you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and this loss. Now I urge you, take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives, although we will lose the ship. This night, an angel of God that I belong to and that I serve stood by me. He said to me, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Look, God has graciously, graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Good to be on a boat with a Christian in a storm, right? Think about that. Christians have a role in society that society don't even realize. God is gracious to Christians, and the lost get to benefit. He says this, therefore, this is a great statement. Take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just as he said. My friend, these verses in front of you, it wasn't an angel that said this. It was the Holy Spirit. And I will say to you, take courage. Because I believe that it will be just as he said. You will call on the name of the Lord. When you die, you will not be put to eternal shame. You will be saved. The converse is true. If you reject him and you refuse him, you will be. And I say to you, it is true. The word is near. Notice what he says in these verses. He's basically saying this. You know, he says, you don't have to go up into the heavens to find Christ. You don't have to go down in the pit to find him. Um, this is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30 when he said, this command I give you today, it is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. This shows you that the law is all summarized in Christ because what he says here about the commandment, he applies to Christ in this text. He says, it's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will go up to heaven and get it for us, to proclaim it so that we may follow it. <clears throat> it's not across the sea. So you have to ask who will cross the sea, who will get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. No, here's what he says, my friend, the message is near you. It is in your heart. It is in your mouth. So you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and blessing, prosperity, death, or adversity. And then he says, so choose life. So choose life. It is near you. You don't have to go on some pilgrimage. It doesn't take extreme human exertion to find this. You know where it sits? It sits on your bedstand every night. 
near you. This shows us that it is very accessible. We want to do the big thing. We want to go on some quest. We want to go on some odyssey to find God. He says it's right here. It's in the Word. Don't miss it. It's near you. Number three, it is to be proclaimed. By the way, on that point, you could just simply say this. We don't have to go up to find God. God came down to find us in the person of Jesus Christ. He went down in the pit, and he died, and God brought him back out of it for us. We don't have to go down and get him. It is to be proclaimed or it is to be preached. I'm not going to take any time with that. He says it is the word of faith that we proclaim. Next week, we'll study that when he says in the next section, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who proclaim the good news. So faith comes by hearing the word of God. And how can they call on him if they've never heard of him? We'll look at that next week. But the Word of God is to be proclaimed. My friend, you don't come to church to hear silly stories by me. You don't come to church to hear the latest thing that's in Reader's Digest. You come to church to study God's Word. To hear what God says. My continual prayer is that God will keep me out of the way of that. It is to be proclaimed. Fourthly, it is to be confessed with the mouth and it is to be believed in the heart. What does it mean to confess? What does it mean to confess? Let's just ask ourselves. The word means, the Greek word is homologeo, it just means to say the same thing. And it could mean several things. It means kind of a formal avowal of truth. It can mean just simply to agree with. It can speak of a formal doctrinal creed. So you have a confession of faith. It's used that way many times in the scripture. It tells us no man can confess that Jesus is Lord except by what? Spirit of God. In Acts 23 it tells us the Pharisees confessed the resurrection from the dead. But the Sadducees did not confess that. What does it mean? It wasn't a part of their formal doctrinal creed. And so it means to acknowledge. There's a verbal dimension here. How is it verbal? How do I know that? He doesn't say confess in your heart. He says what? Confess with what? Your mouth. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Something comes out of your mouth. This is what Jesus says three times in the Gospels. He who confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. He who denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father in heaven. What does this mean? We're going to have a baptism here in a few minutes. 
in the waters of baptism, there was a question. So and so. Do you confess that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, he rose again for you? I do. And then we always say this, upon that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, the water of baptism. But my friend, it's not the only time you confess him, is it? No, sometimes it's uglier than that. Sometimes it's in the workplace when people are making fun of the God you love and the God you worship and the God you serve, and it's not very woke, or whatever that is. That's not even good grammar, is it? Confessing. guy named Rod Dreher wrote a great book that I just looked at the other night. My son is reading it, and I'm like, get done with it, because I want to read it. Live Not By Lies. Quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Coming out of the Gulag Archipelago. Live Not By Lies. Are we really willing? This is what Solzhenitsyn is getting at. Are we really willing to confess the truth if it costs us everything? Our job? Are we willing? I'm just saying. Who knows what's coming? Confess. Okay, let's bring this together. Here's where I want to go. Acts 16, don't turn there. A guy who is an unnamed Philippian jailer Ask Paul a question. On a night where Paul has been beaten, he's been put in stocks, and him and Silas have been singing praises to God, and God sends an earthquake. The Philippian jailer comes into the jail when he finds out from Paul that everyone is still there because he was going to kill himself. The Philippian jailer comes up to this man. He asks a very simple question. He doesn't ask him, you know, are you okay? You know, are your wounds hurting? Uh, what just happened? What did he say? He gets to the core of the issue of his life. And he asks this question. What must I do to be saved? That is a pretty pointed question. What did Paul say? Go on a pilgrimage. Join me on my mission trip. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and it applies to your household. Everyone in it. That is a pretty direct answer to a pretty direct question. Believe. What does that mean? This faith that confesses and believes is demonstrated by calling, what do you say in verse 13? Whosoever shall call. 
on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? Go with me. I'm glad you asked. Go with me to Mark chapter 10. Let's look at one story real quick. Mark chapter 10. There's a story of a guy named Bartimaeus. He is blind and he is in Jericho. Who else is in Jericho? That's the place where walls fell down. It's also a place where a guy named Zacchaeus, who was short, was. And as he is leaving Jericho with his disciples and a huge crowd, Bartimaeus, who is a blind man and he is begging, he's sitting by the road. He hears that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and he began to call out. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody rebuked him. They told him to be quiet. And as they were doing so, he started crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped. He said, call him. They called the blind man and they said to him, come here, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You don't got to get some formula prayer down pat. Jesus. Lord, have mercy on me. He died on the cross. He bore your sin, all of it, to his cross to save you. My friend... You will not get saved by keeping the law. You can't do it. If you get saved, you will endeavor to keep the law. Why? Because now Jesus lives in your heart. But don't get the cart before the horse. Listen to this. I'm going to say this very carefully. You cannot get saved by making Jesus Lord. He already is. You'll never make him Lord. I've tried. How about you? That's just another form of legalism. That's all it is. You can't make him Lord of your life any more than you can keep the law. What do you do? You believe in him. And what will he do? He will make himself Lord of your life. He will change you. He is king. He will mold you. He will make you. But you will never get to the place where you are able to make him Lord of every area of your life. It will not happen. You try, you know what you'll do? You will come to grips with the fact that you cannot do that. And you know what you will then do? You will say, Lord, have mercy on me. And then he will save you and he will make you. And he will be your Lord but you can't keep the law. You can't do this stuff. 
to be saved, there is one thing you must do. It is this thing you must call. You must call his name. And he never looks at the phone and says, I don't know what that number was. I'm not going to answer it. That's spam. I read the story this week and we'll close. Elia took a lair. He begins his testimony with these words. I am a pastor in a small village about 500 kilometers west of Nairobi. For the better part of my life, I was a word of faith, prosperity gospel preacher. But one day, my faith made no sense at all. I first heard the gospel as a young man. Though the message contained false advertising about a Jesus who would meet all of my needs and fulfill all my dreams. And so he became very zealous. He became a preacher. He preached positive confession. It was God's will that you be healthy and wealthy. Disease is a sin. He did spiritual battle with hosts of demons that encroached on all of his material blessings. And in 2003, his first boy died. He was mystified. Other church leaders came to him and said it was a lack of faith. It was secret sin. He researched all of his genealogy trying to find some generational curse that might have been hanging over his head and causing God to rob him of his blessing. And God gave them another boy. His name was Robin. And very soon after Robin's birth, he became very ill. He began frenzied activities to bind Satan, to intercede, positive confessions. But at three in the morning, Robin died. His wife went berserk. She would not believe it. She snatched the lifeless body of Robin from her husband's hand and tried to resurrect him by letting him nurse at her bosom. And he said, my world collapsed around me. Two more miscarriages. And he said, my faith was a sham. He kept going through the motions because it was the only way he knew to make a living. He preached a message he no longer believed. And he made promises to people that he knew were false. And in 2008, God knocked him off his horse. After 17 years of preaching a false religious system of works, greed, no creed, 
The Holy Spirit showed him the truth, and here's how he did it. He was in the city of Mamias, and an Australian couple came to visit the town, Billy and Mama Tessa. And Billy was a man who proclaimed the word. He met Ellie, and he asked him to translate for him into Swahili. One day, as he preached, Billy unpacked the truth. Justification by faith alone through the imputed righteousness of Christ. Ellie had never heard this before. And he was preaching it. In Swahili. At first, it sounded ridiculous to him. Even heretical. But as Ellie translated the word, something amazing happened. A miracle. As he struggled to turn English into Swahili on this amazing truth, the word came to life and the words that Ellie spoke became a confession of his faith. And God saved him. Through the word. He had a voracious appetite to know the person of Jesus Christ, not for what Jesus could give him, but simply for who he is. He is Lord. Today, he runs a Reformed Bible college in Nairobi, specifically to reach his people who have been impacted so heavily with this prosperity gospel. My friend, God's word has not failed. And it never will. I remember sitting laying on my bed and my dad was sitting next to me on my bed as a kid he took me to that verse Romans chapter 10 verse 13 he showed me that verse for everyone who shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved and he asked me he said Tim what does that verse say I, I quoted it back to him everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved he said see the word everyone he said yeah he said well take that out if it's everyone then why not put your name there for if Tim Moyer will call on the name of the Lord he shall be saved. My friend, put your name in that verse. His word is true. Lord, as we close this morning, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that as we close it, there's someone here that is really struggling with faith, that Lord, they would cease their striving and they would just Dig. Holy Spirit, give them, we pray, 
a hunger and a thirst to know your word. And in your word, we pray that you would deliver them from all the lies that they have believed. Holy Spirit, we need you. We cannot save ourselves. Do the work that you have come to do. In Jesus' name. Would you stand together as we sing our closing song?
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the living word of God that changes us, that molds us. May we be like you, and may we go and serve a very great God. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget about the baptism service. You are dismissed.